My name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Embers to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. I've found that it isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how we respond. Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. Today, I'm speaking with Michelle Kuei. She is the author of Perfectly Normal, an immigrant story of making it in America. So this, the, the title author is just one of many. Michelle is the founder of Elevate Life Coaching. She's a clinical pharmacist at Keck Medical uh, Center of University of Southern California. She graduated with a doctor of pharmacy from St. John's University. She is an international motivational speaker, a visibility confidence coach, and I believe we'll get into defining that, um, a meditation and mindfulness teacher, an associate uh, certified coach, a certified professional coach, a certified energy leadership index master practitioner. I wanna learn more about that. And then this uh, other certification is transition dynamic specialist. Is that core transition dynamic specialist? Core transition leadership. Okay. And then um, reading a little bit about you, you're, Michelle is an expert in helping women coaches and thought leaders in taking a step forward and, and getting unstuck from setbacks in life and in business uh, to tell better stories and be brave to get seen, heard, and hired. Now, I haven't read your book, Michelle, but I believe based on reading some of what it's about, you tell your story about your, your life growing up in rural Taiwan um, and when you were 11 years old, a car ran a red light and completely altered your trajectory. And we'll get into that a, a little bit later, but I, I really, I'm so blown away. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and, and sharing with me and my audience. And um, uh, just thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I, it always brings me a lot of joy to be able to connect with another uh, individual, in, inspiring person, podcast host who's who had who shared the same mission in life that we're just here to serve. We're here to spread the message. We're here to spread that inspiration. So thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Well. Let's let's start at the beginning. Um, you you were born and raised in Taiwan. What did what did your parents do? My, it's funny how you ask because I see a uniform behind you, and my dad used to wear a uniform. So I grew up in a uh, navy, uh, not navy, military background. So my 
dad was a lieutenant in the military, and he ended up teaching、um, military curriculums in the high school. And back then in Taiwan, we had these、uh, military training for the for the general public to train them in case that we need to go into war. And so my dad is in charge of teaching that aspect. So my whole entire childhood memory evolves around him. Uh, making sure that his uniform is well taken care of. We make our bed. We bring our bowl to our mouth. It's never the other way around. So I grew up in a very disciplined family where I understand the rules and what does it mean when you break the rule. And I'm I'm such a I have such a personality where I'm constantly looking for ways to break the rule, and so I cannot tell you how many times I got punished. And the way that my parents used punishment, it's not beating me, but it's、uh, it's about just kneading on the floor, and I would be kneading there for hours and feeling that. The floor. I just dug a hole into the floor. That's how I grew up, and and that's how I was disciplined、um, to be the kind of person I am today. So there's a, a a sense of discipline, determination, and that dedication that came from my childhood upbringing. My mom. My mom used to be a housewife, so she pretty much just took care of us, staying at home with the kids.、Um, she's a very typical just mom at home kind of person. Yeah, and do you have siblings? I have a brother who's older than me. He's three years older than me, and then my sister is about four years younger than than me. So I'm the middle child, and it's it is true that the middle child tends to be the weird one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>、uh, uh, so I'm I'm one of three brothers. I have two older step brothers, but I'm I'm one of three brothers, and I'm the oldest. And my brother Sean, the the middle brother,、uh, yeah, he was he was really funny.、Um, he he passed away in two thousand ten. That's why I'm I'm saying、uh, was、um, he he was really really funny, very intelligent. He could make anybody laugh, and、um, but he was such an instigator. Like I can't tell you how many times he got me in trouble. He would do stuff to to get me angry, and as soon as I started going in his direction, he'd fall down and go, "Mom." So,、uh, um, yeah, I I know all about you, middle children. <laughs> yeah, we we have a quirky side of, to us,、uh, but I would say my situation is a little different when after the after the car accident because the the entire attention、um, of how my parents had for me versus to my sibling it completely changed the way that their you know your typical、uh, three child family would grow up. Um, because the middle child tend to be kind of just on their own. They they always like either side with the. Older one to making sure that they're doing their homework, or the younger one to taking taking care of them because they're the baby in the family. After the car accident, that that whole family dynamic had changed, and this is something I actually talked about in the book. In my book, is that I I felt guilty for taking away my parents' love for my siblings. Let's explore the the accident,、um, just based on. Your introduction that I that I gave you there, you 
obviously were hit by a car at age 11. Yeah. What um, can can you talk a little bit about the the accident and and maybe like I've seen some pictures of you where it looks like you've got to uh, use uh, a crutch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So after the accident, so the car accident happened when I was coming off from school one day and I was meeting my mom on the other side of the street to, to meet her so that she doesn't have to make a U-turn. So as I was crossing, there was this car coming towards me and I couldn't have stepped out of it and or avoid it. So there I was, I got caught. And by the next thing I know, I woke up in the hospital. I had no idea of how I got there. But I do remember ever since then, my whole four years of my uh between 11 to 14 a, a good chunk of my teenage year i spent going in and out of the hospital having done multiple surgery and these surgery has to do with just repairing the damage that was caused from the accident i am not paralyzed thank goodness uh, but i am required i was required to wear a pair of metal boots and wearing those uh, two arm crutches. Um, they're not your typical crutches. They, they look like you, it's just like half, half crutches. Um, so these are four arm crutches and I have to wear them until I was about 18 year old. And of course, you know, going into teenage year, I want to look pretty, I want to blend in. And at that time, I already come, came to America. So that peer pressure was really real. So I took away my metal boots and I didn't want to use my crutches anymore. So I was walking on my own, even though when I walk, I still look like a wobbly penguin, but I wanted to blend in. So that's what I did up until college year. And and my body start to weigh it down and my legs start to become disfigured. And the more that it become disfigured, the less that I was able to walk far. Um, so now it's a permanent damage as a result of these years of uh, inappropriate postures and because of how I wasn't taking care of my body, um, here I am, I cannot, I can no longer walk without any type of assistance. So I always walk. Uh, it used to be two crutches, uh, but now I walk with just one. I'm I'm certain that that adversity just built you into the person that you are. I mean, you've accomplished so much, and I, I would say that it's the adversity, but it also has got to be the influences around you. You know, your your father, I would imagine his example helped you uh, in that discipline. Um, can, can we talk a little bit about some of your influences and what really put you on this this path to helping people in so many different ways? Like I, yeah. I'm just amazed. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the biggest influence that I have came from my family. And this is something I was sharing the other day with another friend of mine. And I said, you know, family is something that I never really, I took it for granted. I, I think every time I look into my family, I think, oh, they're just going to be there for me. They're going to take care of me. But, you know, in reality, nobody has to do anything for you like period, you are on your own. But these people, the people that around you, they are there to support you to love you, not because, because they have to because they want to. 
And that's a very different dynamic than you know taking things for granted. And I took for many years, I took things for granted. So I think that my biggest supporter came from my mom, came from my parents, uh, my dad. I I I didn't never grew up in thinking that I would I am different. They never gave me that impression that Michelle, because of the accident, I'm gonna treat you any differently. They treat me just the same as my brother, as my sister, or they attempt to treat me the same. They realize there's limitation. There are certain things that I cannot do, so they would they would jump in and and to help me with it. But on the most part, if there's something that's high that I need to reach on the on the shelf. They would, my mom would say, Here, here's a step stool, my dear, just go ahead and do it for yourself. And I will figure out a way to get on that step stool and get the things on the shelf. That's how I keep figuring things out. And I think it's a really important um, element that really led me to, okay, so here's my challenge. Here's my roadblock. I have it in front of me. I have two choices. I can let this roadblock stop me from moving forward or I can use that step stool and somehow just figure out how to cross it. I can climb over it. I can jump over it. I can do whatever I want with it, but just get over it. And that, that was the mindset that my parents had given me is if you see a challenge, figure it out and you can do this. So they don't treat me any differently than any other child. I, I would like to... There's a question that it just keeps on coming to me here that what what came first? You know, you've got so many accomplishments and you're a clinical pharmacist. Did you did you start coaching people after becoming a pharmacist or were you coaching and decided, you know, I'd like to do this? Hmm. I, I pharmacists came first. I became a pharmacist first, and I was in the career, in the field for the last 20 years. I still uh, actively practice pharmacy, so I still work in a hospital. Um, but I think pharmacy was something that was easy to get to. You know, after high school, after college, what is your next reasonable step? What is your next easy step? And I remember graduating from college, I had a biochemistry and chemistry major, and I was looking into uh, finding a job. The moment I went into a job force, there's that negative self-talk that start kicking in. And every time I send out an application, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, how am I going to go to this job interview? So my very first uh, application that I had sent out was to a Boeing uh, 747 company. And they're located in New York, in a suburb in New York. They have one of those companies, and they were looking for a, uh, a chemistry major graduate to manage their team. So I was going to apply for the management position. And that day, I remember it was cold, and I was driving, and guess who I brought? You would never guess. My mom. I brought my mom to my first job interview. That's how insecure that I was feeling by going into the job force. I had no idea how people was going to see me, how people was going to treat me. And the fact that when, when someone walking, someone of my height, four feet, four inches tall, a grown-up adult walking into a job interview, 
who am I to believe that I am capable of taking on this job? Who am I to believe that I can manage these uh, uh, really tall, chubby guys and they're like really built? There's people walking around twice my size. Who am I to believe I can manage them? And that was the that was a feeling I've been carrying since um, graduating from school. So I had multiple failure from the interview, from job interview. The next easier step for me to do is going back to school. And I listen to my parents. I listen to my mom to have a skill that I don't need to rely on anybody. I can use that skill. And that skill would actually get me into the job force. And that's exactly what I did with pharmacy. Pharmacy was a skill. It's a knowledge that I just have to sit there, use my brain, and I would be able to get into a job place somewhere. So I got into the, I took the easy step and went into the pharmacy field and got my uh, doctor's degree in pharmacy. And I've been practicing it for the last 20 years, but it's, it wasn't something that I would get out of my bed in the morning and feeling excited about. I don't wake up in the morning and say, hey, you know, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to clock in. I'm going to do all these. I used to do that. And that was the difference between a passion and a purpose. A passion is something that you wake up, you feel excited about, and, and sometimes that passion will die. Sometimes that passion will change uh, depending on the situation, the environment, the circumstances. The passion will slowly fade away if it's not in alignment with a purpose. And back then when I had the pharmacy job, I had the passion, but it wasn't lined up with the purpose that I have in life. So from that point on, I was looking for a purpose because every time I wake up clocking into the work, I feel burnt out. I, I got really burned out. I was angry all the time. Uh, there's a lot of stress that was going on at work. And when you don't feel really inspired, you start thinking about, all right, so what purpose and what meaning to this at all, if any? So I started to question myself, what is my purpose? Why am I here? Why did this car accident happen to me? And why is it just me? Of all the siblings, why does it just happen to me? What my life would be if the car accident didn't happen? What would that change for me? So I start getting really curious about why, what my purpose is. Um, that took me on a journey of personal development. And so the coach, the title for the coach actually came uh, as a result of that keep searching and being curious about discovering who I am and what my purpose is. And that leads me to my next question. So this is, uh, it, it. when I looked at all of your credentials, the one that stood out to me the most and, and, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up your bio real quick because okay, certified energy leadership index master practitioner. So you're the master of, of energy work and essentially, right? It's almost like a a Reiki master kind of? No, not no, no? <laughs> so me, I'm way off. Let me explain. <laughs> let okay. me explain. Okay, so energy, it's in the sense of how we're, it, it, you asked a perfect question earlier about the people that, um, that influence us. So if we were to think of 
energy in the terms of Einstein. Einstein had talked about energy as anything, any objects and things that we touch, feel, and get ourselves involved. So right this moment, you and I are engaging in a type of energy. And that's how we influence each other, because we bring our influence into the relationship that we are currently in. And so when when it applies to a leadership role or a leadership position, the energy leadership has to do with how are we being a leader among our surrounding and even within ourselves. The fact that we are showing up today is going to impact how our, the person next to us is going to behave. And that person's energy is going to translate to the next person. So you ever had those experiences where you walk into a meeting and the, people don't have to say anything and you're wondering, okay, guys, what's going on, right? That is the type of energy that I work with. It's not the woo-woo stuff, you know, that the Reiki thing. It's the fact that how you show up is going to influence the person inside the room. And also it has to do with your self-leadership. So I was thinking that it was Reiki. The, the, yeah. The, the energy, the chakras, that kind of thing. And I, I I'm reading about you. You have a, a doctorate in, in pharmacy and you have your education based in science mm -hmm. and then you're you're not in that chakra field it's more of a a psychological kind of energy and that's essentially what uh coaching is is helping people develop and develop them in a way so they can better engage the people around them mm -hmm. and so the the energy leadership the energy leadership, actually, the term came from the founder at IPAC Coaching, uh, which is the program that I graduated from and received my certification process. And so the founder, his name is Bruce Schneider. He is this amazing uh, psychologist. He has a psychology background, and he's also an entrepreneur. He came up with this idea of energy leadership, and there's actually seven different ways of how we show up in the world. Right? You and I sitting here, we have seven different ways of showing up and interacting, and, and it all depends on the type of lenses that we wear um, in terms of our perception. How we see the world is how we interpret the world, how we assume things are supposed to be, and that will impact whether or not we are an inspired leader or we're leading with some catabolic energy, which is energy that is very negative, that has a more uh, drastic negative impact on each other and also in the society. Um, or we can show up with being more positive or being more anabolic, which comes from the term anabolic hormones. And that brings a more positive energy, more inspiring energy. And that in itself will motivate others wanting to, it attracts, the light energy will attract light energy. So if someone who's more positive, chances are 
all the people around them tend to be very positive because the like energy attracts like energy. Same thing with the uh, more catabolic energy, which came from the term catabolic hormone. It's the hormone that meant to uh, put us into a fight and flight mode. So when we have a lot of these catabolic energy, we're attracting the people around us and that causes into, so some people would say, oh, I see all these drama people around me. That's a great signal for us to do some self-reflection. How am I showing up today? Why am I attracting these type of people around me? And it has to do with the way that we're showing up individually. So how we are as a leader today is going to cause to someone else whether or not that person will become a leader for themselves. So what I do as a coach has a lot to do with uh, in terms of how do you inspire someone to wanting to lead others who can follow them. A true leader does not have followers. A true leader has leaders who leads. That's, that's amazing. That, that's awesome. And I, I've, you're absolutely right. I, I've never thought of it in those terms, but you can change the dynamics of a team just by adjusting your own attitude. And if you're the person that is in charge, if you are the, you know, the leader, if your team is negative, you've got to take a really good look at yourself because chances are you're the one bringing that negative energy. Uh, right. And I've worked in those places where, you know, the leader, there's the unconscious leader and there's conscious leader. Conscious leaders are those who, who know, know how to lead. They, they know exactly where to lead their team versus the unconscious leader. It's more about managing or macro-manage people so that they will follow their steps. And this is the way that we do it. This is the way that we have always been doing it. So there's that unconscious leader versus the conscious leader. I, I do, I am a very optimistic person. So I do believe that the world is changing and your work, my work, we're here to get people to wake up, to become a more conscious leader. So they know that exactly in, the, in that position, when you're in the leadership position, you have every power to influence, to inspire, to, to get someone to lead rather than doing all, all the, all the, you know, the macro management and managing people. I want to dig in a, a little bit to, it, it appears by reading about you that your primary focus with your coaching is with women. Yes. And, and to me, that's freaking awesome. I've, I've got a 15 year old daughter and my entire adult life, I've spent in a male-dominated occupation, and I've seen amazing leadership from some of the women around me. Very few women, but amazing leadership, and it gets minimized, or it gets turned off somehow. Yeah. And I've learned so much from the women in the fire service that I worked with about leadership, watching how they engage the team, their, their empathetic um, approach to, to managing relationships and, and just like building the team. Mm -hmm. um, 
better, way, way better at communicating, uh, which in my, in my teaching where, or coaching, teaching, uh, the, the lectures I give, the, the foundation of effective teams and effective leadership is that communication piece. And I don't think there's too many people that would disagree with the statement that women by and large are far better communicators than men. I, I 100% agree with that. And what comes out to my mind is that think, of, think about your, your, your wife at home. So listeners, if you're listening to this episode, I want you to think about your women at home. Look at how they, how they get you to do things that they want, <laughs> right? Look at how they skillfully get you to pick up the laundry and bring your socks over to the laundry room. Like it's, it's empowerment at work right there right so women traditionally we're we're in a place where we get to communicate with connecting with different pieces together to bring the family together you know traditionally um men is always being perceived as the breadwinner going out there you know working and so most of the time it's the women who stay behind and taking care of the children uh taking care of their elderly parents and connecting the husband to the children to the children to the husband and there's a lot of communication that's going on that women has to do and perform so they're just naturally good at communication. And so unfortunately, though, because of this traditional way of seeing men and women, it creates a lot of boundaries for women to step out of their comfort zone when it's time for them to speak up. And so a lot of what I do um, as a coach is getting women to speak up for themselves. And, and I focus specifically behind business because a lot of women don't have a lot of experience in business. So many of them, they have great dreams and, and great mission. They, they want to start a business so that they can start helping their family so that they can alleviate and save up for the retirement for their husband and her so that they can actually go somewhere, enjoy the freedom, enjoy the time together. That's their goal. That's their dream. Everything centered around what women want for business. A lot of time is just having that better freedom, having the freedom to spend with their family. But they don't speak up. And a lot of them don't speak up even for their business. So they go, you, you see them hiding behind the video when it's time for them to go onto a podcast, to go be interviewed. They're afraid of the way that they're going to be judged. They're afraid that, you know, something maybe it's, uh, I'm not saying the right thing. There's a lot of that self-criticism and negative self-talk that's going on that's holding them back from, from showing up and, and sharing their magic. And I call them magical because it is magical. Women are magical. I've watched my daughter turn into an amazing young woman. Um, what she is capable of blows my mind. She's, she's brilliant. And, um, the one thing that worries me is the our, our society and how she may feel that she needs to adapt. 
and I've I've been trying. Um, you know, I, I think that that she has a lot of confidence. She's she's incredible. But I look at the the women around where I live. It doesn't matter what what place in society they have. It it's almost as if if there's a, a woman in charge, it's almost like they feel they need to sacrifice their femininity to to be successful. Mm-hmm. And it's that very component that makes them so much better. So I I just I want my daughter to embrace her feminine her femininity and who she is and just like I I I can already tell that you help people find themselves. Yes. And yeah. And really that to be authentic is the best way to show up. Yeah. So I, I, um, I'd like to maybe get some of your personal experiences that, uh, that kind of led you on this path. You, you talk about getting burned out, but mm-hmm. are there any specific experiences that maybe women in the audience could relate to that you could speak to? Yeah. Um, The most recent one was about five, six years ago. I was in, in a position where I am, I'm trying to get a, um, a, to apply for a position that is a management position. So I sent in my application, everything looks pretty. And, and my, my resume is amazing. I, I double checked it, triple checked it. It's exactly what people want. It's exactly what fills this position. But did I get it? No. And the reason I didn't get it was because the leadership has someone else in mind. And that someone else in mind carries more of the power of of the authoritative figures. Whereas I come in, I'm all about love. I want to create a community for people. I want to connect people together. I want a team. I don't want the individualism. I don't want to be isolated. And I don't want to be the person sitting behind a desk and saying that this is how you're going to do it. It's my way or no way. That's not me. My personality is more like, hey, team, I have this task. Let's get together and let's sit down and talk about it. I need your brainstorm idea. I'm going to take your, I'm going to take yours. That's my style. And so interestingly, as you're talking about the feminism, I... I keep thinking about the story of uh, Little Mermaid. I think everyone heard of that story from Little about Little Mermaid. Little Mermaid, you remember how she had gave away something very valuable from her in order to become someone, in order to become someone so that she can connect with the prince of her dream. So she gave away something very valuable to her, her voice. And when I think about 
my own personal experience of how I was doing a lot of people pleasing. I was in that place of, I want to get that position. And therefore I'm going to go out of my way to please them, even though it doesn't feel natural to me. So I remember I did a lot of uh, people pleasing. If they want a project, no problem. I'm on top of it. I will do it. So I volunteer myself to pick up another extra task when I didn't have to. And did I, did I feel um, sad that I didn't get the position? Of course, you know, there was that moment of disappointment that really led me to think about what was I doing? What was I doing in order to get this position I wanted? I was going out of my way. I was giving out away my voice in order to please become somebody that I am not. And that was a moment I realized that that's not authenticity. Authenticity is you don't need to please anybody. You can speak up. You can raise your opinion. You can say, position is not for me and move on. And so I chose to move on. I have a buddy that we send these motivational videos to one another and they're like, they're, you know, strong guys going, you know, you're not in a race with anybody else. Um, it, it, and I can almost guarantee you that they're, they're not videos that many women will sit and listen to more than a couple of seconds because it's like macho, macho. And, but the, the principle of it is you're, you need to show up for you. You're the one that is taking your, your body, your life, everything from point A to point B, you, not anybody else. And you don't have to impress anybody else. You don't have to appease anybody else. You show up, you compete with yourself. You be the best version of you that you can be and be seen. And, and I think that is more accepted in our society for men than, than women. And that just sucks. Like, I think it's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, I, I had this conversation with somebody uh, earlier this year. And I wasn't aware of the statistics and I, I forgot them, but the point of it is a very high percentage of women, when going for a, a promotion, they will be overqualified before ever considering applying for it. Whereas you know, a lot of the men that I worked with throughout my career would apply for positions that were just way over their head, above their skill level. And they really were confident they could do it. And I just, that blows me away. I, I feel that my job as the father of a young woman I need to empower her and, and hopefully, you know, teach her that 
that's not acceptable. Being silenced by the people around you and some kind of weird expectation of what femininity is, what being a woman is, is being quiet and like, you know, this is, this is the man's turn to speak, you know, like, I, I just, it's very frustrating for me. And, and so I'm sorry. I, I feel nowadays there's more men, more, more men than not. They come to the realization that, oh my gosh, women, when they are confident, when they feel empowered, there's a lot of things that they can do. And so let's let them, let's bring them in. And there's actually, it, it changes their work dynamic a whole lot. It changes the whole entire work dynamic. They feel comfortable. They feel taken care of. They feel safe. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of men are actually coming to the realization of that point. And so the more uh, willing to accept women into the space. And, and I think for all the women who's listening, it's a great opportunity for us to demand our space at the table. And, and I think traditionally, we never really got to the point where we're demanding our space at the table. We kept just allowing uh, uh, ourselves to sit somewhere else. This is a great time of the year, at the, of the era, of the generation to really step into the place and start saying, I deserve a voice, a seat at this table, and I'm going to get it, and you're going to give it to me. <laughs> awesome yes and and i'm i want to just speak out to the to the men that are listening to this and it's very important for us especially in male dominated occupations to step up and be the example of what a real man is and value the women that are around us and what they bring to the table because we can learn a lot from them uh, <laughs> their resiliency i mean think about what they have to go through in order to um give birth to your child you know they they they've been they carry a lot of weight on their shoulder so women are great example of what resiliency is all about right not allowing the adversity not allowing our, our circumstances to get into our way of reaching to our goal living a, a, a life that we want um you know taking care of our family and doing all these things so i i think we can coexist and we can coexist. It's a, it's a natural thing to co coexist in this environment. And that is the balance. So, so we're, we're about to bring back and restore the balance. This is how the world is supposed to be. You and I can sit at the same table. We bring in our wisdom, we bring in our talent, and we can make this place a much better place. If you were to just do it alone, you probably have a lot of challenges, right? Historically, look at what happened. But when you bring women into the picture, there's more love, there's more empathy, there's a lot more elements that you can bring in onto the table to make this thing work. I'm going to have links to your website and your, your social media links all in my show notes. But just for the listeners, what is the best way to, to connect with you? 
The best way would be visiting my website, elevatelifecoaching.org. I have all the links, uh, emails, they can reach, reach out to me that way. And the copy of the book is also available through the website. Michelle, I am just blown away by all of your accomplishments. And, you know, it has nothing to do with the fact that you you've faced adversity through your whole life it's just impressive for anybody to accomplish everything that you've done so I'm, i know you're well aware but i i i'm just really really impressed i'm so happy that you agreed to come on the show and share your story with us and i i would encourage everybody to go visit michelle's website uh, get a get a copy of her book. What an incredible story. So thank you so much, Michelle. I, I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much, Dave. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on your favorite podcast platform and visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. My goal is and always will be to add value to as many people as possible. So if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them, and the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.